Welcome to another edition of the In the Paint Show, episode 166. Another season of the In the Paint Show. We've been off for a little while, but I'm glad to have you guys back. Season six, episode one. Can't believe we've been on six years. I've known you guys have been with me for a couple. I really appreciate you guys jumping back on. And how's everything going, Ani? How's everything going, Chelsea? Man, everything's good. We here. We're back, man. We had a little hiatus, but I'm happy to see y'all. Happy back on the show. You know, we got a lot to talk about, so, you know, I'm ready to dig in. How you how you been, uh, Chels? Yeah, I missed you guys. I mean, you know, we had a little break, but the band is back together. And, uh, you know, I'm just ready to get these hot topics going and talk some basketball with you guys. For sure. Yeah, we know we're going to change a little bit here on our podcast. That's why we kind of took a break. Obviously, we were getting ready for the new school year, but we're just going to get more into our topics, kind of more lay our topics out, meaning we're not going to freestyle as much and just talk about general basketball items. We're going to hit actual topics and themes and kind of stick to them, maybe be on a little bit less longer than we are. We used to be not as much just freestyling, talking about whatever and whatever. And and that's okay. Once in a while, we'll, uh, you know, have a, a, a free-flowing topic. We may make sure you check out our In the Paint Shorts page. We'll start promoting that on on our uh, various social media platforms. Uh, again, we'll promote it to exactly what we're doing. We're going to hit just some some topics, get into it. Like like Chelsea said, we're not going to uh, talk so much about uh, just general, you know, what's the latest in the news. We kind of know you guys get that in a million different topics. So we're going to stick to the grassroots high school space a lot, and we're going to throw in some overseas things and some ge- and some topics that we're in our expertise, you know, uh, Chelsea, Ani, what do you guys feel about that? Obviously, you know, again, people get their information from all over, but we kind of just want to stick with certain topics. And since we've been away, you know, what's been the latest and latest and greatest in basketball, again, new school years coming up, but we kind of wanted to talk about, you know, the ending of the summer as we get into the fall. No, absolutely. Ronnie. Um, you know, I just think, we're keeping the main thing the main thing. You guys are certainly the grassroots experts, um, you know, and I just kind of get in where I fit in. But uh, I love the direction of our show. You know, we take the feedback of of our listeners and the people that join us often, and and we just want to give you guys what we want of what you want. So you know, we're gonna hone in on on a lot of things that are important, but obviously, uh, the grassroots space is you know what we do best. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm I'm with you. I'm. I'm cool with the, I'm good with the direction that we at, you know, excited, obviously grassroots, like me, you, me, you, Ronnie, like, you know, that's what we yeah. do like every day. Like I just got done running the camp dealing with 85 yeah. kids. Uh, but uh, I'm just excited about direction. I'm excited about anything we do or we talk about, cause it's always fun. You know, it, it don't matter. We could talk about baseball. It, it, it's still going to be an entertaining show. So whatever direction we go, I'm good. I'm low maintenance. Yeah, definitely. You know, again, we'll have our takes about various topics. If things happen, so much has happened, you know, in the last few months. So we wanted to definitely give our, our hot takes about a few items. You know, uh, we hope that, you know, everybody's okay out there. It's been just like a crazy month, fires, mm-hmm. earthquake. Uh, the world is a lot going on, but uh, I know Chelsea, we wanted to jump in and some hot takes. Just give us an update on what's going on in the WNBA. And as we head toward the postseason, obviously this, the season goes real fast in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the WNBA, this has been an excellent season. Um, Super competitive from top to bottom. Uh, New York Liberty recently this week just won the Commissioner's Cup. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that, but that is the in-season tournament um, of the WNBA. The NBA is implementing one um, of their own this season. Um, But the WNBA format is a little different. Uh, They play a series of games and the teams with the two best records will meet. Um, So New York Liberty met on the Aces home floor. Aces have been ranked the number one team since the beginning of the season. Uh, And New York came in there uh, with the upset, I guess you can say. Um, Not really upset if you're familiar with the teams because New York has a lot of talent. Everybody kind of expected them to be there, just like we expect them to meet um, in the championship uh, a few months from now. Uh, But yeah, New York won for the first time. Um, The first time uh, the Aces took a loss on their home floor this year. Wow. The Aces were undefeated at home. The Commissioner's Cup technically does not count against the regular season record. So it's not a regular season game per se. But yeah, that was their first loss. And then they actually followed that loss up with a loss on Saturday to the Sparks. 
So now we are looking at New York at the top of the power rankings. They come in at 28 and four. The ACC wow. is the number two, even though they still have the best record at 25 and seven. And we have three playoff spots locked in. Aces, New York Liberty, Connecticut Sun, three of eight teams that are for sure going to be in the playoffs. And the rest of the bottom is kind of wide open. It's a super wow. tight race, dogfight to the finish. All those teams are with one or within one or two games of each other. And we have eight regular season games left. So it's going down to the wire, guys. Yeah. Real quick, uh, Chelsea, Aaliyah Boston. Seems like every time I put on the, the, the TV or watch, she's balling. Is any other, real quick, on a hot take, any other rookie even coming close to Aaliyah Boston right now? No, Aaliyah Boston is the clear front runner for Rookie of the Year. Uh, she was a first-time All-Star. Uh, she's pretty wow. much shattered every record that, you know, you can kind of think of in terms of just post-play and efficiency and, and shooting percentage. Um, the list goes on and on. She's not on the best team, but her team has been way more competitive since she's been there. Um, yeah. They won, I believe, four games total last year, and they're already at seven or eight now with a couple games remaining. So, you know, they're not going to probably see the playoffs, which is okay. Um, but she's been exceptional, and everybody knows that she is going to be the rookie of the year. Makes sense. Ani, uh, and can anybody real quick, like Aaliyah Boston, is anybody going to mess with Wemby this 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 upcoming NBA season? Like, Or is he just going to be – Ahead uh, and plus, he's gonna get the ball. The San Antonio is gonna give him try to get get him involved. Yeah, I mean, I think it's gonna be a little bit closer race than what Aaliyah Boston's dealing with right now. Yeah. Um, you got Chet Holmgren who you know sat out this year, so yeah, I mean, even though Oklahoma has pieces like Shea and Giddy sure, sure. and even Jalen Williams is really just coming along, he may actually become the second best player, <laughs> yeah, uh, for the Thunder. I still think Chet's still gonna give him some problems. Um, after Chad, you know, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if like, Keontae George is in the mix. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I see him filling in at that two spot at U, with Utah. Uh, and he's a high-volume type scorer, so he'd be in the mix. Uh, I think it's not going to be as uh, wide open, like as, you know, there's not going to be as much of a distance with Wimby. Uh, yeah. would, wouldn't be surprised if there's some low management with him. As we know, the Spurs, that's course, kind of the team that's implemented that. And I think with how the NBA awards go, Ronnie, you have to play a certain amount of games. So sure. we got to see a win be plays those <laughs> amount of games to still get qualified mm -hmm. to win that award. So I still think that that rookie race is wide open, even though Wimby had a really good second game. I I am interested to see what he does as far as how many games he plays. You know, I know he's going to get the touches, but how efficient he is and some of these other rookies know that are going to start or play major minutes, what their roles are going to look like, because it's okay. going to change, you know, like, from November, October to December, you're going to have your early rookie of the years, but then you're going to have like Jalen Williams that came on like December, January, you know what I mean? Like later on into the season. So I think it's going to be wide open this year. No doubt. Yeah. You know, uh, this, like you said, the summer going by fast. Uh, obviously, guys are playing. What do you guys think about? Just in these open runs, people keeping stats. You know, oh, this guy had 32 oh, points, and 14 rebounds. It's like we're just paying pickup ball. And, uh, you know, they're all over. Obviously, Rico Hines' runs are real popular at UCLA. But uh, there's a lot of them. And I see a lot of video. I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, didn't someone say, like, KD posted 40 points or something at an open run? Like, I, I don't get it. Like, those guys in open runs. Yeah are working on things that they're trying to build on for the, the upcoming season. Yeah, so, like, guys ain't really playing – not that they're not playing defense, but they're they're trying to really work on their offensive repertoire, like like trying to expand their skill set more than focusing yeah. on that they can keep a man in front of them. Yeah. And it's open runs. Like, I mean, I can go to I can go to the gym right now and drop 30. Like, <laughs> you, want, you want me to post that? Like, hey, what does yeah. that mean? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the meeting. I mean, tell me you think you, I mean, I know yeah. when you were playing, you you did you did a few open runs and stuff like that in pro ends, but like, yeah, we never we never kept stats. Yeah, and like you said, as a professional, like I never I'm working on things in those runs. Like you know, it, it's already hard to get a a group of girls together anyway. Um, most of the times, our runs had a lot of you know college players not so much like high level pros or whatever the ones that we yeah. were able to you know get together in vegas but yeah i'm working on certain things that i want to 
you know, be able to incorporate into my game when, whenever I, I have my next game. So nobody's really caring about stats. Nobody's really, you know, going balls out defensively. It's really True. just, you know, having some bodies to, to sharpen the skill set. And, and, and that's really it. So the stats is just like insane. And it, it means yeah. absolutely nothing. And, and we yeah. see how social media tricks us every summer. Every summer right. we have Ben Simmons shooting jumpers. And then it, <laughs> we don't ever see it in a real game. So come on. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of uh, social media has changed a lot, you know, in the last few months. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're finding new ways to again, promote the podcast as we kind of transition to a new season. I can't believe it's been six seasons now, but, um, you know, like you said, even Twitter is like changed. We, uh, things don't come in in order. Uh, you see all these, just the same things that happened yesterday or two days ago, and it's not really what, what's current. So we'll see how all that goes and kind of translates to, to the to the sporting world and the basketball world, you see things and it's like, wait a minute, is that real? Whereas compared to maybe five years ago when you looked on Twitter or you looked on your social media, you did it, it, it was coming in like in real time or in order, chronological order. And it, it kind of made sense. I don't know. It seems like some of this stuff just doesn't make as much sense no more. I don't know if you guys think about that. Like when you look on your feeds, it's like, is this even real anymore? You know, like, what do you guys think about that real quick? Well, first off, when it comes to my feeds, I don't know why I get half the things I see yeah. on my feeds. I'm not following like half the people I see on my feeds, but no, I, I agree with, I agree with you. It's like, is this, is this really going on? Are we really talking about this or this even discussion? I mean, I think I saw yeah. something about uh, James Harden's better than Dwayne Wade. I was just looking at this before yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I was even like, before we got on, I'm like, man, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it just, it just wow. I see a lot of things. I just see wow. a lot of things. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It just crazy takes, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's just, just wild. What do you think, Charles? I think you know, with especially with social media and Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. Like, there's so many parody accounts too. Like, yeah. I don't know if you guys heard recently when Austin Reeves was doing his interview, and you know, he they mentioned to him that Chris Paul had got you know traded to the to the Warriors. <laughs> He was like, are you reading from Barstool Sports on Twitter or something? That's a fake page. That's not real. So, like, you know, th there's so much misinformation and so much things that are being put out there that it is hard to, to determine, you know, what's real and what's fake. And and I'm okay with the takes. You know, Ani mentioned, like, James Hardy, Wade. Like, I, I think that makes sports fun when you have an open dialogue of people just giving their opinion, whether it's an outlandish opinion or not. But yeah. I think the misinformation and just, you know, the stuff that we are seeing that really isn't true is is what, you know, kind of crosses wires and, and makes things difficult. Correct. And that's kind of why we're revamping a little bit. We took a little time off. Obviously, we we had I was out of town. I went to Greece on you've been running events. So we want to kind of regroup, but we kind of want to keep uh, just keep it straight to the to the point. So the last hot take we're going to do is Chelsea, you mentioned it's hard to get girls together on the runs i wanted to ask you about the aces alumni kind of uh gathering celebration obviously you're part of it because you played for the san antonio silver stars which became the aces uh how many girls were there uh just give us a highlight of what's why it's so good and why don't other teams do it or why where do other teams lack where the aces don't yeah so the aces put on this incredible event this weekend in which they had about 55 former players of the franchise. So that includes uh, women of the Utah Stars, which is where the franchise originated. Then it went to the San Antonio Silver Stars, which is where I played in 2013. And then it became the Aces uh, just a few years back. I think six years ago, maybe. Um, so Mark Davis, as the owner, um, he's just really invested in just this group of women and, and, and what the WNBA is doing and what he's trying to accomplish with his team. So this is the third or fourth year that he's hosted this event. Um, basically flew all of these ladies in. Uh, we all had a room at the win. Um, we had a great group of events, uh, us touring the, uh, the Aces new practice facility, um, you know, formal dinner. Uh, he gave us actually pendants that were replicas of the rings that the Aces received after winning their championship this year. Um, he just really believes that you know, the, the cornerstones of the franchise and just people that have kind of paved the way or even built the way. And, you know, for a player like me who uh, honestly just played with San Antonio on a couple 
uh, 10 day contracts, you know, didn't play a full season with them. Um, limited minutes with them, limited games with them to just be recognized for my small contribution. You know, I think that's huge. And I think, you know, a lot of um, organizations could kind of just kind of take a page out of Mark's book um, and just, he's really honing in on ways to grow the league. So sure. he wants to pull from, you know, women that were in the league previously to, to just kind of have those women be available to mentor the girls that are currently in the league and, and keep the league going in the right direction. Now, Speaking of these other teams, uh, the, the main difference is that Mark Davis is a billionaire. So, I mean, he has. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a lot of WNBA teams would maybe like to yeah. do, you know, some events like this. But Mark Davis is a billionaire. He, you know, built the Aces, an incredible practice facility of their own, which they're the only team in the league that have their own practice facility. Um he does things like this where he's pouring his kind of own money and, and it's nothing for him. It's a tax write-off for him. It's like absolutely nothing to maybe spend half a million bringing 55 girls out and buying us all. <laughs> yeah. like, so yeah. I, I definitely think that teams would try to get on board with this and maybe want to do something like this in the future, but, it, but it's difficult because it does cost money. Oh, um, yeah. You know, I really just appreciate that Mark Davis is, you know, graciously, you know, putting, doing these things because it, yeah. it is a big deal and it's a big deal for Las Vegas, me being a Vegas native and, and, and the girls here in our community that are, you know, just looking forward to the aces and kind of watching everything that they do. No doubt. Yeah, exactly. You know, obviously he comes from the background of the NFL, so he has big money and yeah. his dad, his dad, a funny, real quick, funny story. His dad didn't, Mark Davis, dad, Al Davis didn't let him fly on the plane with the Raiders when he was younger together. They oh, really? never traveled together. Mark mm -hmm. and Al Davis. He goes, boy, if, if this plane goes down, who's going to run this team? <laughs> I don't want somebody else to be. Hey, like you said, he's got big money. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. don't know. That, that's a crazy story. But, yeah, he never let him on the team playing with the Raiders because he goes, if we all go down, I need you to run this team. So it's pretty yeah. interesting. So uh, let's get into our, uh, you know, topic. We're going to just jump right into it, which is obviously um, a scouting report. Yeah, so scouting report for for today's episode. Uh, that's what we're going to focus on. Just the stock risers of the summer in terms of grassroots basketball. Um, people that improved their stocks and people that absolutely dominated. So I want to get this going with you guys and kind of just gonna ask you guys straight off, like, who were your stock risers of the summer? We can start with you, Ronnie. Uh, give me a name of somebody who really impressed you and how you think they improved uh, their game. No doubt. Obviously, it was a great summer. And we saw a lot. You know, again, we took some time off. And I was able to uh, get out of town for a little while and kind of regroup. But I'll do a top three. And I, I think Ani will, will, will do a top three. Mm -hmm. And uh, my number one guy as far as stock rises, again, for, it doesn't matter where they were before. I like Team Thrills, Tyler Jackson, 6'2". 225 guard from St. Francis Academy. Uh, I just thought he was their catalyst and is strong in every aspect of the game. Um, a steady performer. And you know me, I like guys with tight handles, not loose handles. He has a tight handle, can stop on a dime. Just with him, I just think uh, he just, the way his approach, Chelsea and Ani is just kind of like a Baltimore kid. He doesn't, doesn't back down and takes a serious approach to the game. He really wants to excel. So that's my first guy. So yeah. Tyler Jackson, real sorry, real quick, Ani. Tyler Jackson, they have him ranked as the fourth national uh, point guard uh, by 247 Sports. Um, can you see Jackson possibly moving up in the future? Um, do you think that he is maybe on the same level as the three guys that are ahead of him? Uh, what's your What's your take on that? Yeah, well, according to 247, if you got, uh, you know, Darius Acuff, who's now at IMG Academy, Boozer, and, and Brown Jr. Yeah, I definitely think he can play with those guys. Um, again, I'm not thinking of an order right now, but you know, I will say Boozer is Boozer's meaning uh Caden Boozer is getting really good. So mm -hmm. and he has got a lot of size, a lot of uh savvy to him. But I I think Tyler is in that group. Will he pass them? Uh or one of them? Uh I don't I don't know. I don't think he's a top five player, but I think he's a top ten player. Okay. And I just think he had a great summer, and I'm not ready to say yet he's better than those guys, but he's he's in those guys' uh, range. I, I just think you got to reward him for how well he played. 
Nice. Okay, Ani, give me your number one stock riser of the summer. Yeah, before we go, mine, uh, Tyler Jackson, I really do like that pick. Ronnie, uh, really big-time scoring guard. Uh, I know he's taking an official visit to LSU. Um, Just kind of give some notes on that as well. Uh, For me, uh, is Jaden Quaintance. He's a kid. I think he's at overtime elite, or he may be at word of God. I think he may – I don't know what he's announced, what he's going to do, but he's going 224. He's originally a 225 kid, and he's very young. I think he's still – like, he'll graduate at 17 years old. Uh, yeah. About six nine, long arms, above seven foot, rebounds, block shots, dunks, everything. Has good touch around the rim. He uh, had a really good summer with that team. That was very impressive. I thought was the best big man in the MBPA top one hundred camp in Orlando. Uh, finished out strong in July. Just a kid with a lot of upside. The mid range shootings there. I saw him attempt some threes. Obviously, that's not a strength of his. And wherever he goes to college, he's going to have to keep building on that. But he's someone that has real upside as a mid-range and three-point shooter down the road. But just as a shot blocker, uh, help side rim protector, and finisher, he just does those things. He just has all the qualities of a potential pro. And uh, when he gets of age, um, you know, when he's 19, 20, 21, I think we're going to really be like, okay, you know, we'll see him on those draft boards. And he'll be a lottery pick. I think he's projected to be a lottery pick. Obviously, a lot of things can change. But he's my number one guy. Uh, just as a stock riser, especially for someone to class up and then be top 10 in that class in 224, that's tough. <laughs> you know, like most guys that class up, they may drop some, but he stayed in r- around that same range going to 224. Nice. So, Ani, do you think age really plays a factor in terms of, you know, you talked about him being a potential pro. Do you think just NBA scouts are really intrigued by these guys that are really you know, of age or, you know, sometimes we see people that have, you know, reclassed and, and you know, maybe they're an older 2024, 2025 kid. Um, how do you think that's going to play into, you know, his success later on down the line? The fact that he will be 17 when he finishes high school. Yeah, I think I think scouts look at it. You know, they look at age it's, it's one of the components. Right. But they're going to look at the size, length and just the feel, feel and skill. You know, obviously all those things are just all have to be or part of the ingredients, right? But with him, it's like he has size. He's younger, so he has time to develop, right? If he was someone that goes to college at 20 years old, which, you know, like a post-grad kid, then it's going to be like, okay, what is his upside looking like? How many years in college does he need? Does he need another two, three years in college and to get to the league at 23? This is a kid that can go to the NBA at 19, uh, you know, and – and that, you know, for an NBA team, you're like, okay, I still got this window with him for him to grow and develop these things. The older they get, it's just a little harder. Now they're like, okay, are they more kind of, are they more what they are? And if they are just like this type of kid or this type of player, can we just build into that and know we're only going to get an efficient maybe five to six years out of him compared to maybe I can get. 10 really good years out of them. It's just a lot. It's a lot of those things, but Not a very age nice. is a big age is a component because an older guy, you know, how much you're, they're going to look at how much you're going to develop them. But then that just goes into the Intel. How much that, how much workhorse is that kid? How much, how coachable is that kid? You know, what's his background? Like then you kind of go into all those little things. Gotcha. Okay. So Ronnie, give me your number two. Yeah. My number two kid in the top three uh, would be Rob Wright point guard who's from Philadelphia who's now going to Montverde Academy as a senior. He's 224. Um, you know, I didn't have him number one at the Pangos camp, but I easily could have. You know, uh, I just think he plays the game just so well, like in terms of his poise and feel. It's almost like he's played in college already and like he's coming down to like show everybody how to play. You know, like, in other words, like, if he's had, like, college coaching already. Like, he's that under control. Um, like I said, he was good at the NBA Players Camp. Not sure. Maybe Ani could test to it if he was just as good as he was at Pangos. Yes. Uh, <laughs> smooth and no wasted motion. I like the fact that he elevates uh, – the his teammates elevates the play of his – of others. And regardless of where he's ranked, I don't think he's ranked high enough, Ani. Just straight up. Mm. So how do you think that he was able to kind of establish himself and stand out amongst the top talent in these camps? I know you spoke about just his poise and his pace, but like if you could just kind of pinpoint one thing that really just kind of set him apart from the pack, what would it be? Uh, I think what sets him 
him from the pack is just how under control he is. The maybe lack of uh, bad turnovers. <laughs> seeing camp plays like uh, you know, even a really great player has goof, uh, silly plays at times, bad shots, bad looks, throwaway balls. But he didn't really do that. Um, he knows how to keep his dribble in, in tight spaces and reset plays that are not there. Doesn't get rattled. I think that just a if you're a college, excuse me, if you're a, <coughs> excuse me, I'm getting a little congested. If you're a college point uh, coach, you want that type of guy to uh, run your team. You know, you feel good about him giving him the keys to to, to your uh, program. And you had a chance to view this kid as well, Ani. Um, any additional thoughts you want to add on him um, and his performance? Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy that Baylor out of, out of Waco, Texas, got a kid from Philly. You know, uh, <laughs> that's, that's that, you know, and I say that because it's everything Ronnie said. He's that talented. He's that good. Like he he impacts winning with his passing and scoring. Like it's not like the scoring is better than the passing, like the passing and the scoring is elite. And uh, I'm just I ain't gonna lie. Like, I'm still surprised that he got he got out of that area. You know, he he's not at a Villanova or something like that. That that's more of my whole thing. Like he's a really good player. I agree with Ronnie. He's a breakout player and he's gonna have a really good college career. I mean, if he was six three, six four, we're talking he's a one and done. You know, like that, like that's <laughs> that that's how good he is. He is. Mm. Okay. Well, give me your number two. Uh, for me, it's VJ Eshcom. Um, this is the kid. He goes to uh, 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 Luhai, Luhai in New York, and um. Man, about six five. He's a athletic wing that gets downhill. He can defend. He has like, I like his like, his. He just got a lot of swagger to him. You know, like when he plays and he scores, he's gonna let you know. He's gonna know. He's, he's gonna let you know. He's gonna lock you up, and he does it. Um, he's was a kid that you know last year at this time no one really knew about. I first time saw him in September at a John Lucas camp. Right. And I said, yeah, I think he has a high major chance. Right. Because I just saw him in a camp setting. Right. I would not think that at this a, a year later that now I'm saying, OK, this kid was is fighting to be a top three to five player in the country in 224. Oh, so, um, you know, he just gets a lot done. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't look sexy. Not really. But he just makes athletic plays. He's a he's a better shooter than people want to people first perceive and uh, he can do some things off the dribble kind of gives me some shades of like some Victor Oladipo type um, you know like a, a young one obviously pre-injury type uh, just someone at his size that can play the two that's actually capable of playing the one more uh, I, I think there's some real upside as a as a one because he can, he can actually see the play and he can make some passes obviously some things needs to polish up but go from a kid that no one knew about a year ago to now you're a top three player in the top three to five player in the country. And uh, obviously, yeah, before Cooper Flagg classed up to 224, he was, you know, I had, there was some NBA scouts talking about, is he the number one player in 224? Oh. So, so like, that's that's how much of a jump he's made in a yeah. year. Well, that's incredible. If he can continue to trend that way, you know, the NBA is definitely heading in a direction where they're looking for long athletic wings. Um, so can you see that maybe in his future based off of what you've seen, the progress he's made in a year, Ani, does, does he give NBA prospect to you um, a couple of years from, down the line? Yeah, he, he definitely does. I think he's a, he's a legitimate NBA prospect in that 224 class. Obviously a lot, a lot can, uh, I mean, you're talking about that 225, that's when he'll be draft eligible. So a lot can happen, but just from a skill athleticism standpoint and just seeing where he's progressed a year ago, a year from, a year from now, like a year ago, like, what does he look like two years from now, right? Can he really get his handle and playmaking together where now he's someone that you look at as like a two-one combo? I think he can do that. I think he's someone that is a NBA prospect, but you still got to see how the playmaking and how, how his offensive game polishes up. Because defensively, I think he he can hold his own. But is he at 6'4", six, 6'5", six, are you a 2-3 in the NBA? That's where, you know, you got to be that dynamic of a score, like a Bradley Beal type. And I don't, that's not really him. So I think you got to be more like an Oladipo who's more of a two, but also can play the one. And so that's that's more the prototype that I put him in. Got you. Okay, I like that. Ronnie, give me your third stock riser. Yeah, the third guy 
Again, we could have gone in a lot of directions. I'll, I'll say Jalil Bathia, another Pennsylvania guy, Archbishop Wood, and basically in the Philadelphia area in the in the Catholic League. Uh, one of the best offensive talents in the country. I thought he had a terrific summer for a team final, which is on the EYBL. Uh, the high, you know, this guy's went from a top 100 player uh, in 12 months to maybe a top 10 player. Uh, you know, big time schools are on him. Uh, Syracuse, Alabama, Kansas, Miami, Villanova. That seems to be his five. Maybe Ani can talk a little bit more about his trips. And then I think Duke and Kentucky are even trying to jump in there. Yeah. Uh, but so, again, yeah, they, they, the kid can really uh, – offensively he's really dynamic. But, yeah, Ani, what do you know a little bit about his recruiting? Because it seems like he's made his top five. But like some real heavies are trying to get in there. Yeah, the, the, some of the blue bloods can really get in. I know um, – yeah. Last I heard, I know Shire, John Shire is trying to get in there, make him make him more of a priority, uh, wow. Kentucky. Them. So he has a he has a top five, but those, you know, traditional <laughs> blue bloods that if they make him a priority, they can really sneak in there, wow. uh, uh, and, and get in. But you know, again, like Ronnie, you said before, like top five to me, top when people put their top five or top eight, like yeah. I don't, I don't take that for real until <laughs> <laughs> they tell me top not, two. Not, not with the NIL, not in the right. NIL era. <laughs> right, right. Like anyone can come in. So, yeah. It, well, as I heard, I heard Duke was gonna get in there. That's John wow. Shaw was looking to get in there and try to see if he can get in. The reason I say that, I know because again, like you said, Ani, with Rob Wright, like going to Baylor, it's kind of an eye opener. And then for a kid from Archbishop Wood over the Catholic League for him to have like Syracuse fans really want him to be in Syracuse. So like when you hear Duke jump in, it's like, Oh boy, (laughs) (laughs) we'll see. But yeah, I know we're talking a lot about his recruitment. Like he really had a great summer. Yeah, absolutely. did. Talk, talk a little bit, Ronnie, about it. You call, you labeled this kid, one of the best offensive talents in the country. So just talk a little bit about uh, the, you know, his skill set. what makes him so dynamic. I just think uh, he can score inside out. He's, he's just a strong uh, wing body, really good shooter. Uh, can score from various points on the on the floor. I think he has, um, you know, an, just a nice uh, game in terms of under control, like you want from a, a steady two guard. He's not super spectacular. You know, he's not a lot of feast or famine. I just think he gives you steady performances mm-hmm. and – and you know he has a strong frame and looks like a ready college player. That you know he looks like a guy who can come in and contribute right away. Yeah. Nice. Anything to add, Ani? No. <laughs> you know, Ronnie hit it right on the head with that. Okay, so give me your third, Ani. Let's round this up. I think uh, Billy Richmond uh, that goes to Camden, uh, New Jersey, six-five uh, wing. You know he's another kid that I got to see him in Atlanta and uh, Dallas EYBL sessions. And I was like, and this is before I think people started saying, hey, he could be a Mickey D's level player. Uh, in the past, he was just more like a, just a downhill wing. Uh, now he's showing more like, he's showing he's flashing more of the handle, creating. Uh, defensively, he's a monster. Like, you know, can guard multiple positions. He's one of the best perimeter defenders in his class. And there's just, he's ex- expanded his game. He's someone that, you know, again, like probably like a 75 to 100 kid from a from a skill and talent perspective and from a traditional class. I even know I know people talk about the 224 class not being as great as normal, but 75 to 100 level talent. And now we're talking about him being a Mickey D's player. Uh, he's really expanded his game. I would like to see more of the handle. All right. And just the playmaking. I'm big on, you know, feel and skill and stuff like that. And I think he's getting better. And um it's going to be a big season for him, especially out there. There's no DJ Wagner, <laughs> right? So he's yeah. going to be more He's going to be more the focal point on the offense. And so I think the school year is going to be big for him, but he had a really good summer just showing more versatility at the guard spot. It's crazy just, you know, what a year can do. I'm, I'm a big fan of the late bloomers. Like, I really right. like a kid that just kind of comes out of nowhere. And it seems like, you know, you guys give a great – not that these kids have come out of nowhere because a lot of them, you know, are already top recruits, but – you know, just ones that are just showing uh, how a year can just take their game to the next level and keep improving because that's kind of what's going to be important for, for college. And, and I'm sure a lot of these kids have aspirations of, you know, playing in the NBA as well. Um, you know, speaking of the NBA, we already know 
there is some guys this summer that are on the NBA's radar. Uh, I want to switch over a little bit just to your guys' three best players of the summer. So we talked about stock risers, guys that improved. Now let's get down to the people that are kind of sure for NBA players and guys that we know um, are going to make that leap pretty soon. Uh, Ronnie, I'll start with you. Give me your number one uh, overall best player of the summer. Gotcha. I'll just run through my three guys, if you okay. don't mind. Yeah, I'll just go through the three guys. Um, and, again, we have some obvious guys, I think, uh, that are out there that we've talked about. Obviously, the National Player of the Year from last year is back, and he was only a sophomore. Um, so my three guys, I'm going to go a little different because, again, I'm not counting those guys, and I'll give my reasons why. So I'm going to go Derek Queen. Uh, who's at Monverde Academy. Uh, I thought he was the best player this summer. Again, is he the best player in the country? I'll go on record and say no, but I just thought he was the best player this summer. Okay. And then like uh, could, say that again. Like just in totality, like just the, over the whole summer, you just thought he had the, he put the, the best, best springer performances together. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought he had the best performances to put himself in a category to be a top three or four player. Flory okay. Badunga, who's on the Adidas. Uh, Team Indiana, Kokomo, Indiana, 224. Again, um, it's nice to see him and Derek. They're kind of back-to-the-basket players, true back-to-the-basket players. It's nice to see that those guys are, like, in the top five. They're, like, literally two of the four best players, I thought. Uh, Flory really goes to work inside and, and doesn't really do anything he isn't capable of. I think that's what we see a lot of sometimes in the summer, guys kind of we mentioned a little earlier, you know, they take wild shots. They try different things. So it's nice to see he just sticks to what he knows. And then I'll go back to Rob Wright. So I'll say Derek Queen one, Flory two, Rob Wright three. And I just think Derek Queen, again, his team was kind of favored to win the UAA Under Armour. They lost in the semifinals, but they came back at that event. We went to Ani, the Sports, sports Raider Showdown. They beat that team, Middlesex Magic, that they lost to. They won the event, which included Adidas teams, and then they won a, a showcase game against, um, you know, the team from Florida, the Nike team, our guy Steve Reese's team. I call them each one teach when I know that's, that's not that the name of their team no more. But they won that team, beat that team. So, like, I just think he deserves credit for, like, the summer he had. So th those are my top three. I like that. Let, let's hear your list, on. You can run down your three as well. My list was the original uh, one, two, and three of the 225 classes, one of my favorite classes. Um, it's uh, Cooper Flagg of Monverde, who's now a 224. Mm -hmm. uh, Cameron Boozer, um, who's staying in 225 as Columbus in Florida. And uh, Darren Peterson, 6'5", uh, uh, combo, really like combo at uh, – now he's at uh, Huntington Prep in West Virginia. Uh, Cooper, obviously, you know, we've talked about him in the past, like, you know, finished strong at Peace Jam, did a really good job, you know, as a 6'8 wing, can score the basketball, really you know, more efficient as a mid-range scorer and pull-up guy, but he does a lot of things defensively, like rebound, he can switch and defend, he can block shots like crazy, and he's one of the best shot blockers. He is the best shot blocker in the country. Um, and that says a lot when, you know, Ronnie talking about Flory Badunga, right, who blocks everything. But just his feel as a as a, as a shot blocker is crazy for Coop. Uh, I think his ability to impact winning in so many ways uh, and how hard he plays makes him, to me, the best player in there uh, in, in, in the summer. Um, even though people talk about him playing 16s, I do think even on 17s, he was still going to be fine. Um, he, he's, a, he's a really special talent. He's someone that, you know, everything comes out right. He, he'll be, uh, you know, right now, I think in 225 class, 225 draft, they have him ranked number one wow. in the NBA draft, and I can see that. But long ways away, we'll always, you know, things a lot of things can change, but he's been the best player for me in the summer. Number two is Cameron Boozer. Um, about 6'9", six, 6'10", six, he's your – He's your power forward that you just love to have. Gives me a lot of like Paulo Bancaro vibes, but a little bit more polished in high school, especially at the same time. But I would say maybe a lot more at the same time, uh, just because he can really shoot the ball. He's efficient. I mean, when you see Cameron Boozer put up stats, there's no like 11 for 25 from the field. It's all like 11 for 14. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. from the free throw line, 12 rebounds, you know, three from three from three. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> super efficient. He fits that what the NBA and just anybody wants from a power forward, the cause level, whatever. Like, yeah. you know, he fits that perfectly. Um, you just even Ronnie, you saw him at uh section uh section seven. Like, I mean, he was dominated. He just dominated that. I mean, Columbus has a chance, you know, down the you know, this season be the number one team in the country, really yeah. just off him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, they got a lot of pieces, like, but like. I mean, he's he's the focal point. So I think he's been, you know, he's arguably the top in that summer. But I, I have a number two and number three. I had Darren Peterson. Just his consistency uh, throughout. Like every time I saw him, he was very productive. He's someone that plays on the ball comfortably, can play make, which I think that's what he's improved on. This is playmaking uh, yeah. this past year. You know, people knew him as a scorer, but he's someone that I seen drop forty. But it wasn't that he was chucking. It was that he kept the defenses honest by, you know, advancing the ball, by, you know, reading double teams and getting into the open man, uh, by just feeding the roll man and and, and pick and roll stuff, which allowed him to get open shots, you know, within his 40 points. And I think just seeing that consistently, uh, especially from a a junior guard, well, rising junior guard, uh, that's why I have a number three. And he's another one that I feel that could, you know, make it make it to the NBA. And, you know, we I know people talk about, you know, people try to do early projections at 24. Uh, people talk a little in a tiny bit about 25. But for me, I'm looking at that 26 class uh, from a draft perspective. I think that is going to be like a loaded group of guys. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's my top three. Well, all, all great players. Um, I'm excited to see kind of, you know, how things work out in the future, especially with, uh, you know, Cooper reclassing. Um, and now he's 2024. 20, so I think, you know, that's going to move the board around a little bit. Um, but, you know, all these players had a good summer. And, you know, that's kind of what we do here is just hone in on the prospects and, and you know, follow their progress. So it'll be interesting to see where these guys, if they continue to rise, as you guys said, they, you know, improve their, their play in the summer or if things happen, you know, next summer. Yeah, things can change. Uh Chelsea, you mentioned that, and I, I didn't want to throw Cooper and and Boozer in my <laughs> in my top because honestly, when you look back at it, fifteen years from now, like ten years from now, Cooper going to be in the NBA, Boozer's going to be there. They're going to be right. probably starters, probably maybe even all stars. It's just going to be like because Cooper moved up, and we did mention that in one of the last pods that he was probably going to move up to two yeah. twenty four, and it's like he never played seventeens. I want to say the kid never played 17. So yeah. when you look at like a Brandon Jennings, Bernardo Sidney, or Alonzo Mourning, whoever you want to talk about, like I don't think he's gonna be with those guys because like they never played 17. It was almost like them playing 16s was a sideshow. It was like mm-hmm. awesome, but it was like, mm-hmm. oh god, you know, it 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 just kind of like from the bigger perspective, you and I get why they did it, you know, they got teammates that that need to be showcased. They don't want to break up their teammates, you know, go, I'll play 17 with some of them are not, are not ready for, for seven, seventeens. But Ani, yeah, real quick. What did you think of those two or three games they played like in, in two weeks against each other? You know, they played at peach jam. Then they played like, and then back and played it again. And then they, you know, what did you think about those games? Yeah. When they went at each other, MVPA, I thought Boozer really took, took the, ed- had the edge on that. I, sure. I thought that was fairly noticeable to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and but it, you know, camp and it's MVPA camp as great as it is, it's still camp, right? Yeah. But like, I thought Boozer, you know, yeah, I mean, he was clearly better than him at that game. And then you go to that Peace Jam game, um, Coop, I thought Coop outplayed him, obviously, their team won. Uh, it, but when you, when you look at the two scenarios, like MVPA camp, were more there's more like sharing the basketball, yeah. uh, you have other high level players around you. So, like, you got to be more strategic at how you get your shots, yeah. right? Uh, those two is a little bit of outlier, but they still you, – you're, you're working with other high major guys where Peace Jam, I mean, Ace Flash is a good player. You got some other Division One guys at Man United, but Cooper ignites 
damn near everything. <laughs> uh, so, like, he has more chances where Boozer can do that, but he has what probably three or four other high major guys on that that that, that team. So, That's like, seventeen U team. Yeah. So, yeah, they're like a seventeen U team. So, <laughs> he got to share more of the wealth. But I still thought Coop played with more of like a edge about him. Like, you know, he he didn't forget what happened in Orlando. You could just tell. And he really came at Cam. And Cam was just like, okay, I'm just going to do what I've been doing. Uh, but Coop has to do more with that Man United group to win than Cam does with that Knight Riders group. No doubt. No doubt. Um, yeah, you know, good wrap-up of the summer. We're just going to switch gears here a little bit and talk about uh, overseas. You know, obviously we're going to once in a while talk to an overseas player. We're going to just kind of mention the game overseas. Chelsea obviously has a lot of experience in in that regard, and we're going to get some people's feedback. But for this this segment, uh, I actually was in Greece at the Pangos All Europe Camp, so we'll we'll jump into that. Yeah, so Ani, you know, uh, went over there. Obviously, to kind of wrap up the summer it was a good, good getaway. Um, I had been to uh, Adidas Euro Camp, mm-hmm. which you know before COVID, uh, Dino Stragonis decided to do like his expand his Pangos brand into into Europe. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a showcase event. And the the great thing about it was there was sixty uh, about sixty players, but there was sixteen countries represented. So the As we were traveling there, the kids were also traveling. So it's a little different than having a camp like uh, in Dallas or Houston where 80% of the kids are a drive away. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So those kids had to get there too. So that was, you know, something that's like probably taking into consideration how they felt. Uh, They were first camp like that. And it was a big age range from 20 years old to 14 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, big age range. That makes terms, sense. Yeah, you know, because we're not denying kids. Like, oh, no, you know. <laughs> right, right. You know, like kids are, are coming from all over. So they, Paris, France. Again, I'm just going down some of the lists. Lithuania, Serbia, Netherlands, Finland, Denmark, Italy, Macedonia, England. You know, again, we're just all over the place. So um, good talent level overall. Not extravagant talent level again with 60 players maybe if it was bigger and again he will see if he does it again next year how that's going to work and, and if it's going to grow but i think we wanted to talk a little bit i know you guys wanted to kind of talk a little bit about like how they compare you know like to an american camp and ani i just wanted to get your take first of all domestically like do you see any differences in camps in various parts of america or are they kind of the same like just in terms of their makeup their feel when you as, go to camps in various parts of the country as far as the organizer just the players um uh, as far as like the organization how it the feel of the camp and maybe that translates over to the players. yeah i just think like when i go to a camp like more up north for me, it's it just it's just a different it's just a different vibe because just like if I go to a camp in New York, right? Yeah. Compared to a camp in Texas, it's just like it's all organized, but it's organized in a different way. Like yeah. most of the New York guys, like the players, they're they're coming in. It's it's kind of more. I would say like I went to a camp in New York. It was a little bit more serious, <laughs> right? Like the players were were like here in Dallas. Can't you have to preach? to these kids to go really hard because there's something every weekend here, (laughs) you know, like there's all like there's, I had a camp this weekend. SMU has a camp Saturday. TCU has a camp the next Sunday. Then new, uh, the pro 16, uh, those people come in like, yeah, there's always so much. So there's where you, when I'm in places that don't really host, like cities that don't host like camps weekly or monthly, you see a little bit more of like a, a hunger and excitement from kids. Yeah. When you're at places where it's like this is normal, you got to get these kids to like rev up. I think different parts uh, of the country, you just kind of see that the high level guys, 
it depends on what camp they do. Like if they're doing MVPA camp, they're going to go really hard. If they do pangos, you know, they're going to go hard for the first day and a half. <laughs> right. Um, if they go to the local camps, they're going to BS around. So I think it just depends on the area and the amount of camps and events they have per year or monthly there is where you see like, okay, these kids are serious. Uh, these kids are, you know, the, the, these kids, you know, we got to work them to get, <laughs> to get going. No doubt. No doubt. I, uh, I understand what you're saying. I, I do see some differences in camps in various places domestically as well. You know, yeah. um, Ronnie, talk, talk about, well, you actually got to experience the camp. So I'm, I'm just kind of more interested to know and like what you thought, who maybe some of the best players that were there and what you thought the main differences were like, you know, I, I've been a participant. In, in many camps, but never anything overseas. Um, a lot of overseas prospects sometimes came down here and jumped yeah. into some of the events that we had, you know, ones that wanted to, you know, be seen for the most part. But we'll talk, just talk about the main differences that you feel that you saw while you were there and some of the best players that you can maybe pinpoint. Yeah, let's, let's, I have three main points that I thought were the difference between camps abroad and ones in the state. Again, I have a much bigger sample size here in the state. So maybe as I, continue to watch more it, it'll change but um the intensity of the warm-up and drills is definitely a little bit more uh noticeable in europe at this all europe camp and again dino's camp is usually a little bit lax compared to some of the other camps right. in in in, in america in america so i think the kids wanted to take advantage of this opportunity and some of them banged. One kid got all banged up. I mean, they were going real hard, you know. So I think they, they like you said, Ani, in some of the American camps, you got to gotta get them warmed up. They've done it so many times. Right. In certain camps where they feel comfortable, you got to get them going. Maybe the coaches got to, you know, get after them verbally a little bit more. We didn't have to do that there. Uh, the kids really wanted to showcase what they uh, – you know, what they had, you know, or, or, or their talent level, basically. Mm -hmm. So in, in front of a, a bunch of new people, and obviously if you're in Europe, I would think the average kid wants to impress American scouts or, or people involved in basketball from America. That's pretty normal. So that, that that's pretty obvious. Um, the second main thing is uh, their approach to the game. I always talk about it, and again, you guys probably hear me like a broken record, uh, over-dribbling here in the in the States. <laughs> yeah. You know, just too much. Trying to create everything with the dribble. Well, over there, they're attacking with the pass. They, they continue to pass the ball. It's almost like they pass it too much on certain possessions. Like, hey, you got to finish that play. So they're, they're, they're maybe taught or their notion is I got to make the extra pass. I got to make the extra pass. Mm -hmm. You know, make the extra pass to make a good play. And sometimes that gets them into trouble. You want to see a player finish. We're here. I think many times people say I can create, I'll create, I'll create off the dribble. Right, right. So, you know, attacking with the pass is awesome. I, I was a great to see that instead of trying to over dribble or, or you get yourself in trouble, get too deep in the key, especially from the guard position or wing, you know, too much dribbling. So the attacking with the pass was great. Again, the kids just need to know when to – uh, finish and when to make the the right play and not make one pass too many. Mm -hmm. Again, maybe they're just trying to get a feel from each other. Again, these kids didn't really know each other. They're from 16 different countries. So, again, I can see why they were using the pass more than just dribbling. And I think that's just the way they play in their secondary schools as younger kids. Right. That's what they, 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 they teach them. So that, that was refreshing to see. That was great to see. And then the first thing that the third thing is the thing we're talking about why kids attack is they're going to have to continue to work on their explosiveness if they want to make it right. a certain limit. Again, did I see any NBA player? I, I don't know. I don't, I, I, right now, maybe not, but mm -hmm. the best player in the camp, the 18 year old wasn't an NBA player like offhand, you know, but can mm -hmm. one of the 14 year olds make it maybe, but, they got to work on their explosiveness, mainly their first step explosiveness, you know, that we talk about that a lot. Uh, that's just, again, is some of that innate? Yes, some of that is genetics. Again, we could have a whole episode about that, right? I mean, we could literally right. talk about that for, for an hour. But they got to work on it. You know, they got to work on exploding and, and, and 
I think some of it's mental, like, hey, yeah, you can beat that guy. Beat him and beat him efficiently. So those were the main, main three things, Chelsea, is the intensity of warming up to the games, uh, the passing, attacking with the passes, and using the utilizing an extra pass and, and just the first step explosiveness. Well, I want to piggyback on your second point, just about yeah. attacking with the pass and the dribble. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I played overseas for 10 yeah. years. Yeah. I think that speaks a lot to just the style of play of how it is, yeah. you know, over there in Europe. Like, sure. you know, our game is predicated a lot off of just isolation and ability to kind of get your own, create your own. And and yeah. when you go over there, it, it's just a different ball game. Yeah. But to that point, though, I think that's why when the European players are able to incorporate, you know, isolation into their game, why it translates so good over here. Like right. you look at Luca, you look at Jokic, like, they all know how to play the right way. And sure. then they know how to ISO and get theirs too. So sure. it's like, I think that that's like a lethal combination. I think that, you know, that's kind of where the, um, the international game is kind of kind of closing that gap because, yeah. you know, their style of play and then they're incorporating the isolation and the stuff that we do as well, which is just, you know, leads to kind of a deadly combination. And for the last several years, we've seen that. We've seen that in the NBA in terms of talent. A lot of the top players are European. You know, right now, not sure. that they're ever, but I'm saying, you know, Luca, Joker, like Giannis, like the, these guys are at the top of the league, and and maybe it has a little bit to do with their foundation. Now, granted, they did have to, you know, work on some of the other stuff we talked about. Like Gian, Giannis has always been a freak athlete, but Luca's never been an exceptional athlete, but he's so crafty. So sure. he has that first step, and then he has the ability, you know, where he doesn't have the most explosive first step, but he has the ability to still get wherever he wants. Sure. And, you know, kind of same with Joker. He's built like a plumber. But, you know, he can still do whatever he wants. <laughs> so I'm just saying, I think that those are excellent points. But I think, you know, when these kids, as they start to grow and they develop, because they know how to play the right way, it translates once they're able to catch up with the athleticism um, and, the, and the creativity right. aspect of the game. That's it. Yeah. yeah, and I wanted to ask you that too, Chelsea, since you've been overseas and – been there a long time it's uh do younger players or fans even ask you like hey i'm a good player like can you help me get into a college or can you can you talk to a coach in america for me have you ever been asked that chelsea like just maybe oh, in israel quite yeah. a bit actually yeah, yeah um all of them have aspirations um yeah. you know kind of of going uh, to america and playing in college i will say there's like a stigma in israel that i don't know if it's like you know everywhere in all these countries but in israel they because uh, a lot of their players that did come to America, they weren't super successful. They felt like, you know, th that's not the best. You know, they have like this kind of stigma about going to the States. But truly, it, it, it's them. Like, I always tell the young players that inquire about it, like, you have to go to the right conference, the right school, the right program, the right level. There's levels in everything. And it's levels beyond D1, D2, D3, NAI. There's levels within D1. There's high major, there's low major. Sure. So if you're an okay talent player and you try to go to UConn, you probably won't have the best experience there because you're not that caliber of player. So I always try to urge to them, yeah, I will try to help you to the best of my ability, but we need to get you in where you fit in. And that's where you're going to grow as a player and be able to, you know, kind of excel. And there's been girls as of late that have, you know, went to America and did well. I want to kind of shout out Yardin Garzon. She's a young, up-and-coming, talented player in Israel. And she was a catalyst in Indiana's deep run in the tournament this year. She made wow. big shot after big shot after big shot. And, you know, because she went to a program that fit her. She went yeah. to a program that was going to, you know, highlight her skill set. And, and I think that's what it's about. Like, most of them want to come over here, though. For the most part, they're just afraid of, of what can happen. And I think sometimes they're afraid because they're not that good. So when you come over there, you have to, everybody's good in America for the most part, yeah. which yeah. is why you guys bring us to your country to play, to make the league good. So yeah. you're not going to automatically keep a scholarship or keep a spot or get guaranteed minutes just because of whatever, which is kind of what they're used to. So I think it's a little more fear, but deep down for the most part, a lot of them would like to come to America and expand their game. And I saw that on the men's side as well. This is obviously a men's camp or boys camp. You know, they want to go to a high major prep school or 
you know, get in, you know, they know about the Montverde's Oak Hills and, and IMGs. They know about those schools a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, they they may not be going there, but they they they, they are about. aware. Yeah. And uh, I'll just mention in, in as we're talking about the camp, the best player in the camp, uh, Noah Penda. He's an 18 year old from France forward, uh, really unselfish, strong body. Uh, he's a, classified as a 223. I'm not sure if the classes match up. So I, I would just mention the players' ages. We were just kind of focusing on their ages. But uh, when the camp was done, according to the conclusion of it, he got a lot of people uh, talking about him. Maybe like some national JUCOs were inquiring. Some D1s were even like, can this kid's going to come over here because he's NCAA eligible. But he said at the end of the camp, he was very clear. He's like, I'm going to play in a French B league team and I'm gonna go pro. Like, okay, that was his uh whole deal because he was getting some attention. Again, his name is Noah Penda, so uh, he's from Paris and he's gonna play in a in a French B league team and he's and he's going pro. So like, he just felt that he felt that was the best way for him to continue his career and that to give him the best chance to play at either an A league team or like the Euro League, you know, Euro League or maybe even to come over here like. He yeah. felt that was the best instead of going to college. Makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So, um, again, there was a big range of players. I talk about them on the dot com, ballslife.com. Had a couple of stories. I wanted to mention some of the players. Uh, uh, man, their names are very hard for me to <laughs> say, but I'll say a few of the top no players. Try it anyway. Yeah. Tomas Stavankovic, 17 years old from. Juanes, Lithuania, very good all-around player, 6'7 forward. He's listed as 224. He's 17 years old. I thought he was right there with Noah as the best player in the camp. Uh, again, Noah's team's dominated. He kind of dominated uh, the all-star game and dominated the camp play. Uh, a 14-year-old from Athens there in Athens, really good shooter, 227. Georgios Giantisis. I hope his spelling is G-I-A. You're doing a good job. You're doing better than me. E-S-I-D-I-S. Georgios. There's a lot of Georgios in, 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 in uh, Greece. So, again, he was a uh, 6'2", 6'3", guard. Boy, he's a really good shooter. I mean, regardless of where he would be in the world at his age, he's a really good shooter. Spot of shooter, really good player. Um, a lot of good young guards, a lot of good uh, from the upperclassmen or the guys who are about 17 or 18, the, the best players were the wing forwards. And But among the younger guys, the guards were really good. Another good guard, he's 226 listed as, and he's 16 years old from uh, Serbia. Very interesting. He lives in Serbia, but is uh, I think his dad is Jamaican. Again, uh, but he lives in Serbia. Uh, Noel Emil Lewis Mantok, really talented guard. About six four. Again, he's listed as a two twenty six. So hmm. when you get when you get a chance, go check out our. I did some player rankings from the camp. Go check those out. We'll we'll continue to public pub publicize them. But again, I don't want to go over all. all I did a top twenty five. There was only sixty kids in the camp. So you know, hmm. again, go go uh, check those out. Uh, I, I talked about a lot of the kids as many as I could, and it was a good experience. Great experience. Um, Good to see kids from another part of the country, see how hungry they are. And in closing, I will say, you know, uh, with you mentioned Giannis, uh, and, uh, I will say that he has put like his stamp on that country. Like the kids love him, but also yeah. it gives them confidence in everything they're doing. Like mm -hmm. we went to where his court was, where he grew up, like in kind of a poor area of, of, of Athens. You know, kind of like a lower income level and to where he kind of learned. He has a, a whole – his whole decal is on the court. Nike put it on there. Nike has their, their, their uh, you know, logo or, or kind of a swoosh on there. But, I mean, even just in other things, you can see how the kids uh, – the black kids or the kids that are dark-skinned. Again, I don't know where they're all from. I don't want to get into that. But, like, kids that are basically black kids that live in Greece, like, dude, it's – their confidence, everything they do, they, they love this dude. Like, and even yeah. the people like in Greece love him. Yeah. That are, uh, you know, more more natives. Maybe they're not immigrants. Like, that because, again, maybe the fact that he's the NBA MVP and has won a world title, like, 
I don't know if that would be the case if he was the seventh or eighth man on a team. But like yeah. it's really giving the whole country like a shot in the arm in terms of playing basketball or loving the game. Like yeah. I went to a professional game as well when I was there. Like there's Giannis jerseys everywhere. So that's a great, great thing. Great thing for the country. Great thing for the young aspiring players. So on that note, I think we will wrap it up for episode 166. Again, we appreciate everybody being with us back on. We're going to publicize this. And that's kind of going to be our, our, our theme. We're going to keep it a little shorter and hit our themes, hit our topics, and then just get done with it. So for Chelsea and Ani, we're out of here for episode 166. Again, subscribe to our YouTube page. Make sure you tell people about it. We'll be here going a little bit more often during the school year and heading into the season, which will be here in a couple months. Yes.